After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. I'm kind of missing more than one game a night. I always feel a little remorse at this point during the Stanley Cup playoffs, Josh. I like the, the the early start, the late game. You have a full evening of it. Sometimes there's an afternoon contest if it's a weekend. But at the same time, I also enjoy that there's one game each day. You can look at the teams. You can focus on the storylines. And would it be safe to say that there's been a fair bit of scrutiny to a one game in particular this past week? Yeah, I think every, everybody's watching that one game a night. But boy, one game, one play has has gotten the eyes of everyone out there, apparently, a little more focused, a little more concerned, a little more questioning what exactly is going on. Opinions have been running rampant. We will dive into many of them. We will try to look at plays from as many angles as possible which is kind of what the officials were doing in this one, wasn't it? Right now that I think about it, they're kind of looking for all the angles. Yes, got got to have those angles. And hey, Toronto's got them. The Situation (laughs) Room has all the angles covered, Todd. And if they would reveal them in a timely manner, it would be much appreciated. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. Please make sure you follow us on our social channels. For good info, it's Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram for, well, wildlife photos and other things. It's me on Twitter and Instagram at Todd Lewis Sports. On this week's episode, short and sweet, what is offside? It sounds like a philosophical question, doesn't it? <laughs> it's it's so simple, yet so complicated. I mean, the offside rule in the rule book only amounts to what, three pages, three and a half pages, but but so much, so much to unpack in there. When a puck crosses the line, does it really need three pages? Well, apparently it might need even more. Okay, okay. Before we get into this, though, I got I, I to gotta mention a couple of things. Most of the focus is on the NHL, but let's also say good luck to all of the officials working in the ECHL Kelly Cup final between the Toledo Walleye and the Florida Everblades. Go Blades. Can I say that? They're my hometown team. I'm yeah, not, go you know, for it. I, Okay, there we go. Go Blades. Also, congratulations to all referees that were given the assignment of working the conference finals. Gord Dwyer, Eric Furlat, Jean Hébert, Francois Lecouillet, Wes McCauley, Dan O'Rourke, Chris Rooney, and Kelly Sutherland. Also, acknowledging the linesman working. Steve Barton, Devin Berg, Ryan Daisy, Ryan Gibbons, Brad Kovacic, Mac McPherson, Kyle Murchison, and Johnny Murray. Boy, have they been put to the test early, wouldn't you say, Josh? Hey, the, the pressure's on. You know, you, you want to advance. You want to be the man. You want to be the guy who's out there in the conference finals. Well, this is what you get. Everybody watching you. Everybody <laughs> mad at you. Everybody complaining about what you just did. <laughs> See? The consensus continues. The unifying effect yes. of the Stanley <laughs> Cup playoffs. All right. Uh, Let's get to a couple quick things first. Gabriel Landeskog had a big hit on 
Kyler Yamamoto of the Edmonton Oilers in game number two. I think Jay Woodcroft is trying to use this as a rallying point, saying he didn't like the hit. But I'm not, I do not expect anything more to come of this other than a small bit of outrage. No, I, I don't think there's anything there. Uh, certainly, if it's Woodcroft looking to fire his guys up or to, to say, you know, everybody's against us, even the league's against us because they're not doing anything here. Didn't look like anything illegal. Certainly nothing suspension worthy on that play. Again, it's one where the outcome is unfortunate when you've got a guy that's injured, but that's not enough to make this a suspendable offense. Only Mensa member Zach Cassian could be penalized while <laughs> sitting on the bench. He decided he enjoyed and liked that helmet of Bowen Byram, and he thought he might wear it, perhaps, but removing it from a player on the ice while you're sitting on the bench does cause a penalty, doesn't it? Yeah, you typically don't want to affect the play on the ice. Even when a guy gets checked into the bench, once you start putting your hands on him, whether it's grabbing a stick like we've seen in games past that's resulted in some player safety action or squirting a water bottle, but certainly grabbing a hold of the guy's head, taking his bucket, it's going to get you a penalty. It got Cassie in an interference call. It actually went to the team, which is what we typically see when you can't figure out who did it. But I think it's pretty clear that these two minutes belonged to Zach Cassian. Every time a player gets his helmet ripped off, I think of that Winnipeg-Chicago game with the fan that removed the bucket. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it just, I don't know, it makes me smile and laugh. Okay, losing a piece of equipment is also not cause for the play to be stopped. As we've detailed a few times this season, a goaltender has lost a piece of equipment, whether a strap on the mask snaps, they lose the bucket completely, or in Mike Smith's case, losing a glove does not mean that the play is blown dead, even if it's a great scoring opportunity, and that's what happened to Smith and the Oilers. That's right. It's not an automatic whistle if a goaltender loses his helmet, and some folks forget that. You can have the attacking team still possessing the puck, still with a scoring chance on a helmetless goaltender, and they don't blow the whistle then. And they certainly don't blow it when you've lost your glove because it's it's not in the rule book to allow for a stoppage that way. You've got to keep going. Uh, Smith did the best he could. You know, sometimes you you have to make do and protect your hand. Other times, uh, like in this case, he was trying to get his glove back on. And I think that's what cost him. It was nice of McKinnon, though. At least he went blocker side on the shot. Yeah, right. He wasn't shooting at the glove hand. I thought he would be played very fairly. But anyhow, this is this is not the case. It's not an automatic that the whistle gets blown. Okay, we have either joked or threatened or kicked around the idea to pretty much do an entire podcast on one topic. So we've decided that this would be it because I, I think this is the biggest story that has taken place so far in the Stanley Cup playoffs in terms of officiating, certainly. And it's taken several days, but I think most of the fans of the Edmonton Oilers have come back in off the ledge now and have grudgingly accepted that the goal scored by Kale McCarr is counting in game number one. <laughs> it's counting. <laughs> They're not happy about it. I mean, we, we went from a, a kicked no goal right into this one. And, and I think the Oilers fans have had it with reviews and understanding what the rule book looks like. I think, Todd, you, you might have hit it. They've, they've come to terms with that the goal is going to stand, but not not without a fight, a fight that is continuing <laughs> to go. And there's there's a few different areas of this that we want to look at and examine the rule, how it was applied. First off, let's congratulate the NHL officials for getting the call right on the ice. It was a very quick play. There were a number of different pieces of the rule that come into play. They got the call right on the ice. So congratulations to them, first of all. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is one of those situations where if 
you can't go back, right? Like we see the coach's challenge for goaltender interference and it can go either way. If you've got an offside, you, you blow the call, you whistle it when you shouldn't have, there's no going back. There, the goal doesn't happen. There's there's nothing else here. You kill the play. So it's important to get the call right, especially in these situations, because you can't go back and redo what you would have stopped. So Brad Kovacic making the, the right call, the tough call there on the line on watching. Where's the puck? Where's the possession? Where's the tag up? All those factors to get it right and then confirm it via video review. The confusing part, I think for many, was that Kale McCarr is skating at good speed towards the Edmonton blue line and preparing to cross into the offensive zone as Val Nachushkin is exiting the zone. The puck crosses the line, but not until after Nachushkin's skate touches the blue line does Makar once again touch the puck. And that is the key with this whole thing. I am, I am still flummoxed that it took... I'm not sure the Canadian network covering the Western Conference final still has had a valid explanation of this rule and how it works, which is unfortunate. But I think uh, TNT and Dave Jackson and Don Koharski got on it a lot quicker and have managed it a little bit better in terms of explaining why the call was made this way the correct way. Right. And and like you said, Todd, we've got a few things in here. So great to have guys with years of officiating experience who can weigh in and and have some more insight as to what happened because folks are, are looking at the rules. They're interpreting the rule book and there are some things, some nuances in there that are called and have been called traditionally and historically a bit different than the way a, a, a lay person would come in and interpret the way things are written. And I, I'm not saying that there's not room for improvement there, but the way these are read, there's two components. And we'll, we'll look at the zone entry first with Kale McCarr. Lots of folks were concerned with, does he have possession and control of the puck? Yes, he has possession. Yes, he has control of the puck. That part of the offside rule applies to when a puck carrier precedes the puck into the zone when we see guys skate in and they're skating backwards or they've they've got the puck on their stick and you know did they cross in ahead of the puck if they've got possession and control they themselves are onside separate component from what happened here the issue was never whether McCarr was onside or not it was Nishuskin so forget possession and control now we have to look at the puck itself so offside is evaluated at the moment the puck completely crosses the blue line when that happened Nishuskin was offside he was clearly in the zone what we have is a delayed offside situation. Nichuskin can tag up as long as all the Avalanche players tag up before they play the puck and re-enter the zone. We've got a legal play. And that's exactly what happened here. Makar delayed from touching the puck. Now, he's still deemed to have possession based on what the NHL definition of possession is. So he was still in possession. He was still in control, but none of that matters. What matters is that when the puck completely crossed the blue line, McCarr didn't touch it until Nachuskin was onside. That's why the play was legal. And it, it, it really is as simple as that. It's easier to understand and accept that ruling, I believe. And as, as you said, this is the correct call that was made on the ice and confirmed by video review. Dave Jackson has a, a little Twitter explanation on his feed with a video that sort of expands the zone and makes it a little bit easier to see. It's not as as bang-bang a play as it was out on the ice. And you're right, if you simply consider that 
this is a delayed offside, the rule becomes so much easier to understand. I was I was texting you as soon as the play was 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 taking place in the game, and I said, wasn't that offside? And you you said, no, there's another angle that shows he was not touching the puck. Kale McCarr was not touching the puck as he went across the line. It took a long time for for me to see that angle, but you're right. That's when the clarity comes in terms of the ruling. Right. And I, and I think it's it's understanding the rule, understanding that it's not the possession or control and that it's it's the touch that is the critical moment on when we need to determine what happened on this play. You know, it's a delayed offside. It's no different than if he fires the puck into the zone. Everybody tags up and then goes and gets it. Uh, I think someone, I can't remember which writer it was, uh, t- termed it as the shortest dump in in NHL history, <laughs> which <laughs> I suppose is a way to look at it. And, you know, in the explanation, it was it's tough reminding people that it was only legal because Makar was still in the neutral zone and in, in, in the neutral zone when he touched the puck. So effectively, they all tagged up. Had he continued into the zone before Nachuskin tags up, it's offside. Th- this is... Not an uncommon situation, but the factors have to align just right for it to play out the way it did. And it has. We've seen this come up over the years on scoutingtherefs.com in the post about this Makar offside play. We cited three other examples, and and we have Mm -hmm. more going back to 2017 of situations where the player bringing the puck in delays on touching it until after his teammate clears the zone. So it's nothing new. It's not a change in interpretation. This is consistent with how the league has called this particular aspect of the offside rule for at least five plus years since the inception of Coach's Challenge for Offside, possibly longer. Part of the difficulty in this, I believe, is we're looking for an immediate decision. Now, the officials on the ice make that call and eventually it can go to video review if the Coach's Challenge is initiated there. But when we're watching the game and listening to the game, we're looking for an immediate decision. And I think this is the difficulty because, as we mentioned, there's a few different layers to the offside rule, whether it's a delayed offside or possession of the player coming in. And it takes a bit of time for replays to come back and determine that. And I think that's part of the struggle with fans trying to understand the rule and I'm, I'm not trying to dump on commentators that are struggling to watch replays and make a determination and give an opinion because that's what the producers are in their ear telling them. Tell us whether it's good or not. Tell us whether it's good. And, and they want an immediate decision. But sometimes these things, you need a minute just to absorb what's happened and find that right replay angle that makes it clear for everyone. Exactly. And that's the challenge for the broadcast team. It's a challenge for the fans at home. Frankly, it's a challenge for the team's video coaches who are looking at it as well to determine, hey, should we challenge this play? And I I heard in Elliot Friedman's article, there were a few folks in other NHL teams who said they felt bad. They knew right away that this was Mm -hmm. not going to be a successful challenge. But I think when you look at that, you have to, A, what do you see? Which is very helpful, but what are you looking for? And what pieces are critical to making this decision? And we see it even with goaltender interference. It's knowing what the criteria are that are going to apply to this situation for which you're making a call. We're looking first, and I, and I can speak from what what I would look at, what the officials would look at, what the situation room is seeing. First, we want to see what was the situation at the moment the puck crossed the blue line. That's when we're determining if it's offside. So number one is, what was that? And are we offside? No, we're a delayed offside there. Okay, so the next piece is when was the puck actually touched after clearing the blue line? Because that would be at the point we have to assess if it's still a delayed offside, if everyone's tagged up. So I think 
for folks who aren't sure what they're looking at that are just looking for when did the puck cross the blue line, hey, he's in the zone, that's not the whole picture. And sometimes the video that's available doesn't show you the whole picture. And it's important to know what are you looking for and is this clip telling me or do I need that other angle? And it was the second angle from the opposite side to show that McCarr was bringing the puck in, but he wasn't touching the puck. That was right. the critical one to making this decision. Right. And that was the the one that it took me a little time to to see. Now, this, of course, leads us into another piece of this discussion, which is, should this play be offside? You you talked about possession and how that works in determining an offside call at the blue line. And I'll refer to a social post from former Maple Leaf Carlo Koliakovo, now member of the media, who has kind of a good an interesting perspective on it, saying it's different when a player is waiting for a teammate to tag up, but it's also quite a different set of circumstances when a player is rushing the puck up the ice, he is in possession of the puck, whether it's touching his stick or not, and just because Makar doesn't happen to be have his stick in contact with the puck as it crosses the line, should this play be looked upon differently? That's a different part of the discussion in, I guess, do we have the correct wording of the rule in those three pages of the NHL rulebook? Well, I, I think I think Holyakovo is correct in one point and incorrect in the other. Okay. And, and I'll start with his incorrect point. I don't agree that there's a difference between waiting to touch it or rushing up ice and touching it. I think we need to not consider it from a judgment or guessing intent or assuming that we know what Kale McCarr was thinking at that moment. You know, who's to say that he didn't hesitate while he was waiting, hoping the right. shoeskin would tag up, but still not breaking stride just because he didn't stop doesn't mean that he wasn't intending to do it. So I, I disagree with that part. I think you need to look at the facts of the situation without intent. Did he touch it? Did he not touch it? And I think that's where it needs to be for offside. We always joke that offside is the black or white rule. It's the easiest one. <laughs> Let's not make it more <laughs> so much for that. Right. So I think I think that part of it, I think we need to take intent out. I think it, the way it is now, it's not that confusing. It's not that tough of a rule. What I think, and, and I know Koliakovo tweeted about this as well, I think rewriting, rewording the NHL rulebook would be helpful. And I think there's just a few parts there. Mm -hmm. There's the whole clause, and this applies to the dump-ins for the delayed offside, that talks about whether a player is, during the delayed offside, if he's if a member of the attacking team touches the puck, attempts to gain possession, or forces the defending puck carrier back into his own zone, the linesman should stop play for the offside violation. That is how the league calls it. But the player, and it does say all players, or any player, how the league interprets that is for the offside player. So in this case, it didn't matter that Makar was pursuing the puck because he was onside. If Nichushkin went to play the puck, if Nichushkin engaged a defender, anything like that, they would blow the play for offside. And we see it a hundred times. So that's how they're calling it. The rulebook isn't as clear on defining the difference between the player in the neutral zone who's not offside and the players who are in the offside position. So I, I think some of that probably would have cleared up some of the angst, some of the frustration, if the rule book were worded as clearly and consistently as the league has interpreted that book. Is an annual review of the rule book to just kind of massage some of the language, maybe clarify some of the language, something that could and should be looked at by the league? 
absolutely should be. And, and these aren't big changes. Sometimes it's just tweaking the language to reinforce the league's interpretation because we see all the time that they change the standard for a call. And they're not changing the rule, but sometimes we see standards or crackdowns, whether it's on slashing or things like that. You don't need to change the rule, but in certain instances, especially around like illegal checks to the head, we saw blindside come out. We saw the head being principal point of contact change to main point of contact. There were tiny nuances there because that rule was changing. It was living. It was adapting with how it was being handled by the league and how they were calling it. I wish we could see that with the other rules as well. And I, and I think when people argue the spirit of the rule, if the NHL went back and level set every year and said, this is how we're calling offside, this is what the rule says, let's tweak this so it aligns, you'd have fewer debate on what is the spirit of the rule because the updated living document rule book, you could just follow the letter. You could follow the rule book that was updated within the spirit of the rule and not try to guess, you know, what were the founding fathers saying when they wrote this offside <laughs> rule? You could go by, hey, you know what? We don't call it this way. Let's fix it. And and it's something that the league uh, probably should spend some time with. And I'll, I'll, I'll raise our hands, Todd. Let's let's jump on board. I've got my highlighter and my red pen ready. Love the idea. I love the idea that this is it is a living and breathing document that it does get adjusted and interpreted by calls. And as you mentioned, if there's something that they're going to be a little stricter about, then they're, they're, that should be acknowledged in the rule book. And I, I definitely think that greater explanation than coaches challenge, play was deemed to be onside, good goal is needed from the league as well. Yeah, it's it, it, the explanations would go a long way. And I know we can't always get it from the officials on the ice. Mm-hmm. And this is where I look, and uh, it's funny, Dave Jackson and I were just talking about this the other night. This would be a great opportunity for that series supervisor. If you don't want to put the referees, you don't want to put the linesman in front of the mic, fine. We've got a series supervisor for this game. Uh, for that one, is Kay Whitmore. Let's put him in front of the mic after the game and have him explain, hey, uh, we know that this was maybe a controversial call. Either I'm going to explain it or we're going to bring the linesman in here to just explain what the rule is, why this played out the way it is. I don't need the officials getting grilled in front of the media. I don't need a big no. press conference. But to have a pool reporter there to just get some some quotes, just to have an explanation, it would go a long way towards quelling all this frustration and all the, the anger around this because these guys know what they called. They called it right, but the NHL didn't break down that explanation, didn't provide that after the game. So I, I think a missed opportunity there, one I'd love to see them address to have those series supervisors. And again, it's it's not a Q&A, it's not a press conference, but hey, let's offer up an explanation. We know that the Macar Cole is going to be a hot topic. So let's get in front of it. Let's say why it went the way it did and and bring it up there. I mean, I, I know Dave Jackson's been busy. We've been busy on Twitter. Tim Peel's been mm-hmm. putting out fires. There's a bunch of folks trying to answer, trying to educate, and and the league has the opportunity to do it. And and I wish they would because I think this would have been a perfect chance for one of them to come out and say, here, from the officials working the game, is why the call went the way it did. I just have one other thought on this, Josh, and it'll end with a question to you. Uh, seems to me that we are clearly deep into the unintended consequences of video review. And what do you think could be next? Boy, I I. I don't know where you go from here, but but what I can tell you, Todd, without question, is that we will find it because whatever <laughs> whatever is not intended is bound to happen. And it might happen in this round or, or more likely in, in game seven of the Stanley Cup final, because what better place to try to test the rule book than in the championship series? 
Thanks for listening to the Scouting the Refs podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram and follow Todd at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe out there. Keep it clean. Watch the elbows. We'll see you back out there on the ice.